Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer for the Athletic, here with usual suspect Anthony Slater, typically a West Coaster, now on Memphis, Tennessee time. Slater, what's up, brother? Fifth game of a five-game road trip. You both know how that yeah, goes. Yeah, baby. This is what I love about Zoom, is because I don't think the listening audience is necessarily going to be the viewing audience for this particular episode but just to paint that picture Slater being a trooper being a road warrior rubbing them eyes coming off a red eye the hair that I always have fun uh, making a little fun of is not in fine form at the moment we have random strands that are going rogue but you're here man and you are here to also join the great Tim Cato, who, as I say, his name is is fixing his hair. Dallas Mavericks beat writer. I think it, it's, I don't know how many appearances this year uh, is, Tim, but we had you on about a month ago. Good to see you again. How are you? What's up, y'all? What's up? Yeah, no, Slater definitely has the look. Like people who have been on a flight within the past 12 hours, you can just tell. You can tell. And, and Slater's got that look right now. Let me tell you. And uh, let me tell, so I respect it. Let me tell you, Sam, the hair will be looking just fine at 7 p.m. tonight in FedEx Forum. All right, I got time. Wait a minute, you're you're about to see your your alter ego, that Grizzlies oh. dude that's always on the uh, the jumbotron, whose hair he, man he never rocks it like this. Later, he never lets it get out of uh, hand. Yeah, you gotta, it's, it also yeah. is probably like four extra inches, and you know he's on the jumbotron. <laughs> so you, you got me spooked to even go down to the arena. Now you were. Oh, this is like. I mean, what's next? Me and Sam Amico having a podcast together. I don't know what's oh, going on here. You uh, <laughs> and he's got a few more muscles than you do. I don't want to like throw shade like that, but he's he, the the guy knows that he's on camera. He's swole. He's out there with that Memphis energy, that so, WWE right. vibe. You know how they always have like wrestling nights in FedEx and everything. Just to, yeah. just to paint the picture, what are we calling this haircut? A, a pompadour? Like especially, you know, you add some, <laughs> you add some depth to it. I think, I think that's the word for it. His, so. his, um, the the Memphis guy at least. I'm not comparing this to myself, but uh, Johnny Bravo. You know the Johnny Bravo hair? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like literally, yeah, I think, in the I think arena. that is a pompadour. Yeah, yeah. They compared him to Johnny Bravo, so I'll just go. With also, that. pompadour is just a fun word. right? Right. So Pompadour is a great word. Absolutely. Man, Slater, I was trying so hard not to talk about Will Smith and Chris Rock, but you got to drop WWE references. My brain instantly goes to the Oscars. Part of this episode today is going to be me not talking about. I was that, going to say, my goodness, how, how, what a night in Hollywood. Tim, how about him going? I was trying so hard not to talk about this. You were trying to find. I was any, looking for yeah, an excuse were, to talk about. It. Little, I think. Yeah. I th- to quote, hey, I'm a journalist. I, I I quote people accurately. And what Sam said is, we're going to talk about it now so we don't talk about it on the podcast. Um, <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. So I just can't get over it. King Richard is yeah. a great movie, by the way. I'll just I'll I'll go the positive route and just try to plug that. And Chris Rock's a great comedian. So go pull him up on Netflix for the youngsters who don't know how much of a bad man he's been for a very long time. Those are two legends of the business. It was unfortunate to see what happened. Uh, but we know in the sports business that, you know, emotions run high, stuff happens. And we will now, like I promised, pivot back to basketball. We are here to talk NBA. Um, guys on the show today, 
We're getting close to playoff time. Our friend uh, Matt Moore of Action Sports had tweeted this morning, got my attention that it said 12 days until NBA playoff basketball. Kind of made it a little bit more real. Tim is shaking his head. Um, part of our discussion, certainly, Tim, as you shake your head, is that you might be in for a longer playoff run than you thought. I mean, we shall see, but your Mavs have moved up to the fourth spot in the West. Um, not even as hot as they were before, but just hot enough to keep moving up the standings. Uh, but we want to break down West and East uh, playoff matchups as they currently are constructed and just kind of analyze how it might look going forward while talking about the news of the day. Uh, quick, shameless plug for myself and Mr. Slater and then Cato on the back end if you have anything you want to promote. Uh, I did enjoy putting together the latest edition of Unplugged where I talk to athletes and try to get them to share perspective that has not been found elsewhere. Joel Embiid of the Sixers and I talked in LA last week. Uh, I don't know Joel very well at all, and I really enjoyed getting some time with him to pick his brain about what's been an incredibly interesting season in Philly. So check that out. He talks about the Ben Simmons saga, talks about the future with James Harden, why he trusts Daryl Morey. And then Slater, you had a similarly a pretty good interview with Mr. Andre Iguodala, who, as you wrote, has been a, a bit of a under-the-radar impact player for the Warriors when he's been on the floor, and him coming back certainly is a good thing for them. Yeah, and you'd almost say an impact-missing player, right? I mean, Steph Curry is the big one they're waiting for, but Iguodala is supposed to come back. Uh, by the time people listen to this podcast, he's supposed to have played against Memphis, and he is trying this, you know, and this might be the end of Andre Iguodala's career. Um, you know, he's not saying that yet. I'm sure when he announces it, it'll probably be on a his own podcast or something like that. But I mean, writing's on the wall considering how this season's gone. He's not going to give it to Draymond. I feel like Draymond's getting Draymond's going to player scoops lately. Draymond's going to try for it, but Andre has now started his own podcast with Evan Turner, so maybe Evan Turner gets it out of him. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. That makes a lot of sense. Those guys have been boys forever. Yeah, yeah, they actually did a really good one with Steph. But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I did like it. They're tr the Warriors, and we can get into this as we talk about the seating. But they're just trying to line everything up perfectly for this, like. In some ways, especially if we're considering Iguodala one last ride, um, with him coming back, they're hopeful to get Steph back maybe a day or two before game or two before the regular season ends. Um, none of these guys have not have played together since 2019, you know, all together at the same time. But there's still this like glimmer of hope for them that if they are, are all healthy by what April 15th, like you said, you know, a few weeks from now, um, they could still make noise. No doubt, no doubt. Tim, what's uh, the quick synopsis of your coverage of late? Any uh, any any good uh nothing 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 too major. Uh, a couple things cooking. Um y'all have noticed that the Dallas rim mics are just insanely loud, right? Oh, Crazy yeah. loud. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well yeah. just stay tuned on that. Just stay tuned on that. I like but, that. That's A1. Yeah, can... That's A1. Exactly. I was going to say, if you combine the Dallas rim mics with Mello, I feel like, and that probably has happened at some point when he yells, give me the effing ball every time he goes up for the board. I like Wait. that outside the box coverage. You can always expect that. All right, let's talk playoffs. Um, you know, again, a little bit of time left. Things could change, but we're getting close at a time when you're starting to see what the landscape might look like. Now, the plan itself obviously makes it tricky to handicap first round matchups. Um, you know, right now the Lakers are barely hanging on, which is that's crazy. I didn't know well, it was that close so, to be honest so with you. So yeah, let's start there. Talk the Lakers me. just lost a huge game in New Orleans last night after they went up twenty something. Um, yep. Lost to the Pelicans. Pelicans now have the tiebreaker and have hopped them in the standings. Lakers have a really difficult schedule the rest of the way. I believe two Nuggets games. They play the the Warriors and a few other tough games. The Spurs are now, like you said, only one back in the loss column, and I believe the Spurs have the tiebreaker. Um, so Lakers could get bumped out of the play in potentially. That's well, and then and then LeBron, which uh, which ankle did he turn? I'm guilty. I can't of remember I which ankle, but you know, it's either one doesn't really you know. LeBron hobbling. Our, I know our Bill Orem had written about how it, even if it didn't sideline him, that it almost in terms of the spirit of the team, it was yet another blow. So yeah, Lakers barely hanging on. Um, Pelicans in that ninth spot. Um, and and you know playing 500 ball the last 10 games just got Brandon the Clippers, Ingram back which was big he was good yesterday no doubt and that you know I think somebody had said that game yesterday was the play into the play in I think Dave McMenamin of, of ESPN 
Um, Clippers in eight, T Wolves in seven. So how we how are we going to handicap the first round? Are we just going to well, decide who we think makes it well, out of the play. Let me ask you. To me, it seems pretty obvious. Phoenix. I mean, it's very obvious. Phoenix is the one, and at this point, I mean, lock it in. I think covering the Warriors, Memphis is the two. Um, so yeah, those are the gotta be. yeah those are the oh, two yeah, teams sure. sitting looking at two seven and one eight. Um, they're you know I think I believe it was Bill Simmons went on his podcast in the last day or so and like nudged this idea that maybe you'd see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard at some point and that makes the play in mix very spicy if that's even a possibility. Sant, I think that's uh I don't hopefully not speaking out of turn. I think that's Clippers season ticket holder Bill Simmons. So you know close to the action. Yeah, well, you know, regardless, that that definitely spices up the idea of some of these matchups. But um, if you're Phoenix, if you're Memphis, as you guys are looking down right now, it's Minnesota Clippers would play the first play in to get seven, and then you're thinking probably Clippers against you know Pelicans, Lakers, or Spurs. What do you guys think? Uh, if we're, I mean, if we just look at who's got pole position right now, um, I don't see much need to talk about the possible. So, I mean, okay, you gave me a little need. Suns, Clippers, all right, if there's Kawhi, if there's PG, sure. I That that would run counter to the, the vibe I got when I was in L.A. a couple of weeks ago, and, and it has been some time. But at that point, it was that certainly Paul might be on the way back, but they were functioning as if Kawhi would not be back. So that is something to watch. But even in that instance, I'm going to do – that thing that I've tried hard to do of late, which is to continue to give proper respect to Phoenix and say, even if it was Kawhi and PG, they're coming off injuries. Phoenix is incredible. Uh, you know, I think they're getting through that first round series pretty easily. If we're talking about players coming back, what's more interesting to me is if Denver, who's a game and a half up on the Timberwolves, uh, staying out of the play in, it's still possible they would, you know, Minnesota would catch them, Denver would fall to seven. And Denver obviously has this massive question hanging over them about Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., uh, whether either of them are going to return. And look, I'm not picking anybody against the Suns. I'm not worried about the Suns' first-round matchup. But if somehow, some way, it ended up being Denver and Memphis in the first round, that makes me think a little bit. You know, even this version of this Denver team against Memphis uh, I mean, yeah, having I think to play, we should, Tim, we should talk about this version. I would say, okay. that I mean, listen, I wrote five weeks ago, and this is where our jobs are tricky. At that time, you know, players and coaches on that team were being told that it was very likely that Jamal and Michael Porter Jr. were coming back. But, you know, we always kind of joke in the business, you got to leave yourself an out. And when I wrote that, it was like, you know, if things continue the way they are, then then maybe we see them since then. Uh, the Denver Post and, and other places have reported that, uh, and our Joe Varden had a good piece talking about the fact that if anybody's coming back, it's likely Michael. And the Jamal thing, it really feels like they have unofficially decided that even though he is physically able to play basketball now, that because of who he is, <clears throat> excuse me, and the kind of role that he would be compelled to play when he returned, that they just don't see the uh, the wisdom behind putting him on that kind of a stage. And that's why I think it's makes more sense that Michael is the player they need back. Michael right. is the complimentary piece that Some is the shot-making they don't have. Whereas right. I, I couldn't imagine a scenario where Jamal comes back even tomorrow and he would be up to speed and fitting in. And he's the taking the ball role, out of Jokic's right? hands for a exactly, lot of the game. Exactly, exactly. Like, like yeah. to me, if they get Porter back, that's what matters. Uh, right. I, I think it's totally fair you know, even for them to make a business decision and say, doesn't matter what Jamal's health is, it's too late to bring him back into the fold. But I guess what I'm saying is like Denver is kind of a scary team, I believe, sure. right now, even without either of those guys. And if they get Porter and they get matched up against someone and, you know, if they fall into the play in and get ma matched up against someone or, you know, like even if they had to play Golden State in the in the three six, you know, I, I don't think. Golden State loves that. Like, what do you, how do you see that Slater? I actually think they, you know, if no Jamal Murray, I think that's maybe their preference. Um, you know, uh, you, you leave Draymond and Looney on an island at times against Jokic. He gets his 30, whatever, but you don't have to double as much. Um, Denver doesn't provide, in, in a, I think a lot of people's estimation, the 
uh, defensive punch that I think some of these other teams. That's true. Now, if we're if we're adding Minnesota into the mix, I could huh, huh, definitely hear the argument that Minnesota is the preference down there. But I think if we're talking, you know, Dallas, Utah, and that's what the you know when we talk about the Warriors' danger zone right now, it's falling into the four or five and playing Utah or Dallas or something like that. I think that's scarier than uh, Denver. I think Denver's a next season team at this point. You know, I think it, obviously they're going to try their hardest. But I saw them in the second round against Phoenix last year. No Jamal Murray. Michael Porter's there. Aaron Gordon's there. Jokic is there. They got swept. Um, they need a really good Jamal Murray, and that's next season. Are you I, feeling, Slater, just to make sure I heard you right, that the Warriors' preference would partly be Minnesota? Um, I, you know, right now you don't. When you I'm talk, good watching Pat Bev against Steph. Well, oh, you know, by the way, if we talk series. about pre- preferable matchups, there's a lot of history there. Yeah. Yes, you get Pat Bev against Steph, which, again, I don't know that Steph prefers that coming off a of foot sprain. But um, right. you have Andrew Wiggins and D'Angelo Russell in that trade mixed into it, and both front off. You know, the Warriors' long uh, belief that, you know, they just got some grand slam trade that could look, you know, worse if suddenly Russell has a good series, Wiggins doesn't. Uh, the history of Steph and not drafting him, the non-Kevin Love, Clay Thompson trade. Just, I mean, Sam, you know, those franchises have some history where it's felt a little bit big brother, little brother. And that would be a, that would be a chance for Minnesota to like really, you know, try to, you know, take a sword to the armor a little bit. No question. I feel like uh, Minnesota would be fun against anybody because, you know, coming from a Maverick I'm excited centrist, to see them in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah as I'm a Maverick. To, yeah, yeah, I've got the Mad- Maverick-centric perspective here. And I I kind of felt like Minnesota would be the most fun matchup for Dallas. And I guess it really is just Pat Bev. Like, Pat Bev is is a pest against anybody. And, you know, him and Luca have this weird love-hate thing. Um, I think it's more hate for Luca and, and more love to hate for uh for pat bev but i mean pat bev was just on the you know was just asked about who's the toughest guy you've covered and he's like oh yeah no question it's luca and so they have this weird you know weird weird thing that that has been going on for for a little bit here and, and i think Tim, that to that point my favorite part of the latest matchup you know we, we've heard about luca when he gets upset with the refs that he needs to sing to himself which always cracks me up I don't know what he has to do to keep himself from punching Pat Bev in the face because Pat Bev like smacking him on the ass as if they're good like that. And then I was watching Luca's face very closely. uh, And it's just like, you see him tighten up. And even after the game, when the Mavs won and they did give each other a little bit of love and it was like the fakest love you could ever see um, like that, that element where Luca in the way he's wired continues to fascinate me. Yeah, and, and Luca has this like similar relationship with Terrence Mann on the Clippers, uh, sure. except that I think there is actually some level of mutual respect there. And Luca's just looking at Pat Bev, and you're like, and he's like, you're going way overboard here. You're you're just acting completely insane. Whereas Terrence Mann is like very, I'm gonna be the pesty like a pestiest peskiest guy on the court against you, but you know it's all within the confines of of uh, of the Lions, so. That was a terrible Terrence Mann impersonation. I'm going to be the peskiest guy on the court. Trying to impersonate yeah, him, I'm just I was kidding just you. stumbling over my words. So I'm Minnesota poking fun. Fred's not here for me to poke fun at. <laughs> um, real quick, Slater, to cut yeah. you off. Sorry, is the Pat? This is very off-brand for me that I now am going to have made two ESPN references early in the pod. Kurt Goldsberry, who I think is fantastic, um, had some really good stuff on Patrick Beverly and cutting into the what you might call the Russell Westbrook narrative you know that that all Pat does is is run around with his head cut off um diving into the defensive metrics of how effective Pat has been this year so as you talk about Minnesota how dangerous they are Carl Anthony Towns finally really figuring it out you know obviously Anthony Edwards is is a spectacular young talent like in general I don't know if they pull off a shocker but I think they're going to be fun to watch in the excuse me in the first it's round it's not just like those three, um, Vanderbilt is like kind of a, like he's a playoff type player. McDaniel's B 
Beasley is one of those bench guys now that comes in and on any random night he could hit seven threes off the bench. Like they're a bit dangerous, but they are, you know, they got killed by Boston because everybody gets killed by Boston right now. Although we should mention the Rob Williams injury. Yeah, the news of the day is brutal. We will when we get to the East. Uh, but, you know, Minnesota's yep. two losses behind the Nuggets. Um, so to me, it's, it seems most likely right now they're sitting at seven. If they win that first play, and that would match them up with Memphis, and you know when when you know Tim mentioned we want to see Minnesota against anyone, they've had very spicy games this season where they really talk and you know in game, post game, even, uh, and that includes Beverly. They played incredibly physical defense. Yeah, both teams and Beverly member got traded from the Clippers to Memphis initially. And uh, he he went on like the JJ Reddick podcast, or at least this is where I heard it, and detailed like how he was like pretty excited to go to the Grizzlies. I called the Memphis GM, and the Memphis GM like it, in a way I guess kind of like disrespect him. Like, yeah, you can battle for a roster spot in camp or something like that. And then they flipped him immediately to Minnesota. And you know who are we talking about? Beverly. Here? Beverly this gotcha. summer went Memphis right. to Minnesota, and like I think that has spurred him to really kind of generate some. Uh, you know, angst uh, in those matchups against Memphis. And we know Memphis invites that. It seems like Minnesota does. That That seems, at the beginning of the season, if I told you Memphis, Minnesota round one, you'd be like, ew, NBA TV, you know. That would actually be no, a really no, that would matchup. Be great. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All this connective tissue is is pretty awesome too. You think about the history with Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, and you know the idea that that Carl at that time, the outside looking in, the optics were that he just wasn't cut from the same cloth as Jimmy, and Jimmy would say that every day of the week, and and obviously push his way out of there. So Carl's toughness, his manhood, if you will, at that time was challenged. Now certainly life since then. I mean, he's he's shown how courageous the guy is he's been through awful things off the court and now having the best year of his career but Carl having that edge that I think Pat Bev has played a part in is fun to watch the Grizzlies group that has you know they want all that smoke is going to be fun to watch and as a uh, super producer Andrew Schlecht has reminded us in the uh, the old chat you know if you move up from there another matchup that could be the best of, of the first round potentially is the idea of Utah Dallas facing off you got a jazz team that is reeling a bit um and with them everything is louder right now because any other team I guys that was 45 and 30 you know would feel reasonably good about itself but when championship is the expectation and when it has that feeling internally of like we are either going to do this thing with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert and company with Quinn Snyder or we're not and if we don't win at all this might be the end of the road the stakes are high for them and then Tim you can speak to your group this Mavs team that, you know, when they, they shocked everybody and they trade KP to Washington and, you know, and Dinwiddie and Bertans come their way, uh, they continue to play well and, and to look dangerous. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've felt for weeks. It's kind of looked for weeks that Mavericks jazz is going to be the the first round series. And it, it still seems like the most likely outcome. Um, I think the Mavericks biggest problem right now is that they're, they're low on big men. And I might have even when we were talking about Denver earlier, I might have even kind of built them up a little higher in my mind, because I think that's the worst case scenario for Dallas is if they have to play Jokic. Um, they just don't have right now. They have Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba and Maxi Kleba is in the worst offensive slump of his entire career to the point that he doesn't want the ball like he doesn't want the ball anywhere. He doesn't want it after a rebound. Uh, it's it's really quite concerning because it's it's really just those two that they have. But when I look at the matchups the Mavericks could have, I think they can 
work with a small ball lineups uh, with small ball lineups against pretty much anybody except Denver, which is why that's probably their their least advantageous uh, matchup. I, I think against Rudy Gobert, you can really trouble him by just running out a lot of five out stuff. I mean, that's what teams have done over, you know, multiple playoff series now in, in the past. That's what the Clippers did clearly. And so even if the Mavericks, you know, can't get Maxi right, uh, and, and if they only have Dwight Powell, I think that they would be able to survive and maybe even thrive with a really small ball heavy lineup uh, that that is now even more possible thanks to Spencer Dinwiddie, who has just been superb since joining the team, uh, you know, really back to, our, you know, really even a, a Brooklyn version of, of the guy we've seen and really just gives them a lot more juice. Um, you know, they've, they've had Luca and Jalen Brunson, but Jalen Brunson and Luca, they both kind of attack the same way. They're very methodical. They're very slow. They're very grindy. Um, and, and they use a lot of hesitations. They use, use a lot of guile to, to beat defenders. Whereas Spencer is a first step guy and he finally has that first step back. He's a direct line to the basket guy that Dallas has not had. And so even though, yes, Brunson has been, uh, so important, important to the team this season, uh, Spencer just does something a little bit different as a, another shot creator, and that's what the team's really been needing. And so I think that's that's the the main strength of Dallas going into this, along with a a really rigid, uh, smart defensive structure. And, and the concern is the big men. But I, I mean, I hate to say it, and I know Rudy Gobert probably gets you know lambasted too much. And in this context, it's not his fault that he can't you know if if he's playing against a five out lineup, it's not his fault that he has to go guard a perimeter player and he can't make up for the defensive failings of the rest of his teammates. But that is a concern that Utah has. So it's not a, I'm not trying to disrespect her to go bear her. I'm just trying to point out a structural flaw of Utah that I, I think that Dallas would be so worried. I don't know if it's that simple worried. though. Now feel free. It, it's it's not. I'm, I'm simplifying a little, but go ahead. Well, who am I forgetting in one moment does not make a player's reputation, but earlier in the year, there was a, defining moment of sorts you know so defining that I forgot who it involved where Rudy had, had kind of a high profile late in game moment against a wing player it was, it was against Luka Doncic it was, it was, it was Luka. against Luka Doncic and Tim clearly <laughs> forgot it he's still out here throwing shade oh. I mean I will say that the oh, company line well. the company line from the jazz side if you go back to that ill-fated Clippers series in the five out nightmare that Rudy was a victim of that you know, first of all, they they point to the fact that you know the other four guys on the floor were were equally uh, awful when it comes to perimeter defense, and and he continued to have to cover for guys. So it wasn't just a matter of can he stay with Trey Man or Terrence Man. Oh, I did it, Slater. Yes, you I did. did your thing. Yeah, yes, you did. <laughs> wrong Sam, man. They um, haven't corrected that issue though. They have the same perimeter issue defensively. Yeah. That they did, you know, they didn't. That's you know, that's what you're waiting at the deadline for them maybe to do something. Obviously, losing angles is tough. So, uh, what's interesting about this conversation though, because you know, as Tim has just just said, <laughs> thank you, Andrew, uh, who says in the chat he can't stay with Trey Man oh, either. Andrew Slex is yeah. all about Trey Man. I, I I was early to that train, Andrew. Um, can can you stay with an 80 year old man? Where's the threshold wow. here? Um, <laughs> That 4-5 has been expected, right? Dallas, Utah, and it does sound like that matchup, does, you know, strategically should probably uh, tilt Dallas's way, but you really look at what's going on at the 3-4 right now. The Warriors have lost four games in the last eight days to the Spurs, Magic, Hawks, and Wizards. Uh, they're going to rest guys tonight in Memphis. By the time people are listening to it, you'll know the result. I'm assuming it's a Warriors loss. We'll see. Then they play the Suns and Jazz coming up so without Steph Curry again. Like Dallas is only two back in the loss column, and Dallas has the tiebreaker. To me, if I was handicapping it, I'd probably say it's more likely Dallas is the three than the Warriors. Um, is that something Dallas is chasing, though? If you look at the rest of their schedule, there's a ton of winnable games there. I think they can chase down the three, but maybe they prefer the four. I don't know. See, I think they would from a matchup standpoint, but I think the way that Jason Kidd has coached this entire season, they're not going to like throw games for preferable seeding matchups. And I, I think Dallas has beat enough good teams uh, pretty soundly over the past few months that they shouldn't be like gaming for the best case scenario. Just just kind of from a mindset standpoint, you know, I I, I tend to be stats heavy, but I I, I fully understand that you know, throwing games and being like, oh, this is the team we want, even if you don't say it explicitly, 
you know, that can, that can have a mental effect on, on your team. And I just don't think that's the way that they've been coached this year. So I, I think, I think you're right. I think, you know, just two game, two losses back with, with the way the Warriors are are setting up to, to close the year. That's interesting. Like I said, I, I don't think that Denver um, is, is the ideal matchup, but also with the way the jazz are, are flagging a little bit and, and their next games are um, here. Let me check because it's, I know it's, there, is, I, I know there are golden state coming up and it felt like it was set up to be a big game because it's for the tiebreaker, but then that's right. Utah yeah. Lost a few. So, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I, I think, I think that Utah is probably the team that they would want at this point, or maybe if they, if, if Dallas goes up to three, if Minnesota can pass uh, uh, Denver, you know, that would be a, a advantageous three, six scenario for them. And, and maybe I'm wrong on Denver completely. And, and certainly they're not the team they are, um, you know, they're, they're a good team. I think it's just from a matchup perspective, like you can go small ball. Dallas can go small ball against pretty much everybody else. I don't think you can go small against Jokic, not with his combination of post play and inability to double him because he's so good passing out of it. I don't know how they would contain that. Like <laughs> they might break a Boban Marjanovic out of, out of mothballs, but I mean, I'm into that. You don't I think like of that always, and think that's going to, that's not going to work either. He always has a playoff moment. So you don't could have one this year. That's true. That's true. Guys, before we start making our way over to the East, um, let, let's highlight two major factors in the West and one Slater with your team. If you could give us the latest lay of the land with Steph's injury, but before you hit on it, you know, in a similar vein, John Morant is supposed to be reevaluated now in about 10 days. Now the Grizzlies have been elite, fantastic without him, but that's not what you want in the playoffs as a guy who's MVP caliber this season. Um, so uncertainty with Ja, and then the Steph situation is what? Well, the Ja one, you know, you mentioned elite without Ja. Elite it kind of like being a little bit hidden with injuries too. Tweak knee, that's not an injury. That's just you not telling exactly what's going on in the knee is it a sprain or you know that is something right. to watch now i don't have answers on it but uh you know it, well ja in this day and age where everything is uh you know kind of subverted uh into social media ja tweeted apologies the old pipes are failing me today ja tweeted a uh i'm looking at it here a a video from the uh legendary disney movie lion king that Akuna uh, <laughs> Matata, it means no worries. And I'm not going to hit play on the video, but you know the song. And and he is downplaying conceivably the severity of it. But but yeah, the, the lack of certainty and clarity has got people in Memphis concerned. Yeah, if that two-week uh, timetable that was uh, at least mentioned is, is uh, you know, what it's going to be, that's pretty much online with Steph. Uh, you know, Steph is not yet as of uh, two two days ago, not yet like on the court, but it, it's believed to be a pretty minor foot sprain, uh, probably like a three, four week from the injury, and we're already about a week and a half, two weeks nearly into it. Uh, there's even, you know, they were even hinting some hope that he could maybe get a regular season game or two in uh, to, to just maybe kind of get his conditioning and win back. Um, so I think April 7th against the Lakers, potentially, uh, you know, if, if he really heals and gets back on the court and feels pretty good is a possibility. Then they have a back-to-back to close the season, San Antonio and New Orleans. But as of now, that you, you definitely are still getting optimism that like game one, round one, Steph Curry will be in the lineup. All right, let's talk East, gentlemen. Out East, where, like I mentioned, you know, I talked to Embiid, got a taste from the big fella. On, you know, the Sixers are part of this group at the top of the East. That I mean, things are going to be fun down the stretch because I, I, I am one of those people that, you know, the anti-LeBron, if you will, who likes the play-in tournament, feels like it has compelled people to be more active at the trade deadline, compelled teams to not shut down, obviously, and make things more competitive down the stretch. Uh, now on the opposite end of that, as if that wasn't enough, uh, you know, and, and really there's not much, uh, mystery in the East about who's going to be in the play in Atlanta's got a four and a half game lead on the Knicks for the final 10th spot, but you have count on one, two, three, four teams in the East, all separated by a half game. So, you know, Philly, and, and here's to me, what's at stake beyond the obvious and starting with playoff seating is. You know, we all know that when it comes to awards voting, it might be silly because you should just judge each guy on the 
the merits of his overall season. But, you know, let's take Embiid, for example. He's in that MVP race. Nikola Jokic, reigning MVP right there with him. I think Giannis Antetokounmpo right there with him. Um, but if the Sixers manage to, you know, be atop the Eastern Conference, I think the optics help Embiid's case quite a bit. And uh, similarly, you've got a Miami Heat team that has not only been scuffling, but is now, you know, is, is now having fisticuffs or whatever we're calling that thing that happened on the bench between Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra and Udonis Haslam. You know, they're not going the right direction. Boston, and we uh, alluded to it earlier in the day, the terrible news of the day, Robert Williams, their center, who is such a huge part of their incredible defense in this last two thirds of the year. Uh, is down with a meniscus tear uh, in his left knee. And and that is obviously terrible, terrible news and hurts that group that's playing so well. Milwaukee also in that group, uh, a half game behind. So Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, Philly, um, they are stacked in the East, guys. If you're Boston, don't you kind of hope to drop to four and have, like, you want to avoid Brooklyn, period. And if you drop down to four, you have Chicago in the first round. I think that's winnable without Robert Williams. Puts them on a better timeline to hopefully return in the second round. Maybe you even get Miami um, in the in the second round, which seems like the most winnable of of, of that group uh, right there. Um, you know, of the of the top four. Um, but yeah, I think I think just specifically, I, I think if I'm Boston, given the the injury news, I don't think there's much concern if they if they're the ones that are dropping a few games down. Yeah, if you're an East team uh, that isn't the Bucks or Nets, you should want the Bucks or Nets to be in a bracket together, and you should want to be on the other side of that bracket. I mean, you right. should just not want to face either of them in round one or round two. However that plays out, I mean, it's so complicated right now that it's like probably difficult for anybody there to judge where they should want to be because everything's so in flux. The first, all four of the top four seeds are at 28 losses exactly right now. Brooklyn, you know, we think they're going to be seven. Well, they lose to Charlotte yesterday. They're now 9-10. At this point, if the season ended today, they got to win two playing games to get in, which, by I mean, it's not even like we still are not calculating in the possibility that like Brooklyn loses a playing game and like, isn't in the playoffs. Like that's still potential. I don't think that's going to happen, especially now that Kyrie can play everywhere. That's not Toronto, but um, it's, you know, it's tough to dodge when you don't know where you need to go to dodge. So, and that's, what's kind of interesting about the East. I have no idea what the playoff matchups are going to be at this point. Yeah. I tend to believe in terms of like the conversation about teams dodging and, organizational manipulation of what happens on the court. It's pretty challenging in my experience covering the league for a little bit to get that kind of messaging from the front office to the coach, to the players, to, to have a real impact on the court. Now, if you have a very clear cut, you know, team that you're trying to avoid in a scenario that looks somewhat controllable, well then maybe you're just sitting guys, you know, maybe you are, it's easy enough to do to me. The East is so muddled that I think people are just going to play right now and let the chips fall where they may, because players by and large are going to kind of rage against, you know, any GM coming into the locker room and saying, all right, guys, I just need you to give it 50% tonight. Like that's not happening. Um, so to me, you know, that, that parody, if you will, and and all the stacked teams is, is going to just mean that they're balling out down the stretch. What matchup do you guys want to see most? I mean, I guess Philly, Brooklyn is like the easy answer. Uh, but beyond that, that one's easy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Kyrie can now play in, in both cities unless it's a Toronto series. Um, that's significant. Um, I mean, but the Ben Simmons thing, we don't, we still don't know when or if we're going to see Ben. So that takes, we're not, we're not going to see yeah. him. There's right. no way, right? At this point, there's no way. No, and it's and it's and I will say, and this is you know, actually, I'll shout out a podcast I just recently followed that I really enjoy. Um, Jeff Stotts and, and Brian Stutterer, both athletic trainers from In Street Clothes, uh, and now they're pairing up on this pod. Um, they they had a, an episode on Ben Simmons that I thought was really good because let's be honest, none of them, none of us rather have our medical degrees, and and we far too often are trying to talk about injuries. What they hit on with Ben is that, listen, the second that they heard that he was getting an epidural injection, that there's some things that just cut through all the narratives, all the noise, all the criticism. You do not get epidural injections unless you have a serious back situation. And so um, a herniated disc is nothing to 
to to kind of toy with and so you know yeah that's a real thing for sure yeah so with that in mind uh, i didn't mean to slow it down there um you know matchups that i would love to see you know i'm a little guilty of like give me the smoke so anything i'm trying to figure out who do i want miami to see in the first round because the state of affairs with the heat is so interesting right now i mean if you guys remember Last season, uh, Arsham Sharania had reported that there was some friction allegedly between uh, Jimmy and and it had been some tough moments, if you will, with Jimmy and, and Eric's bolster behind the scenes. And, you know, Jimmy's camp pushed back really hard on that, but it, it's hard not to have your mind go back to that when you see the video of of him in that huddle and and Spo looking him dead in the eye and saying, you know, what do you want me to F and fight you? And, and Haslam coming to his coach's defense, but independent of all that, or maybe even tied in, that's a, it's a gritty group. It's, it's a group that, you know, has, is, is very deep. I know they lack the star power of some of the other elite teams, but, uh, I want to see Miami in a, in a tough first round keep, matchup, keep I guess. Again, if, maybe round three. Sure. Yeah. If we're going to go that, I mean, that's a second round series, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. At this point, but yeah, cause it, yeah, the, the, the top four seems relatively settled. What's it? Well, for yeah, fun my, here, for fun, my vote's going to be, I'm talking first yeah. round. I'm, I'm thinking Atlanta because Trey young has low key had himself an incredible year offensively. Um, I believe he has more points than anybody in the league all told not per game, obviously. Um, and, and there's going to be an interesting debate about Trey, you know, and whether or not he makes an all NBA team. So Trey and the entertainment factor is there, even though his Hawks are not what they were last season and defensively had taken a, a big time decline. But I think a, a Hawks heat, you know, a tough defensive heat team bottling him up and, and the rest of those guys would be fun to watch. I was going to say Miami, Chicago. Um, you've got the second half struggle narratives for, for both of them. But, you know, I also think Chicago is a team that does have a little bit of that same mindset, mentality, culture uh, that they've developed uh, this season, um, did I say Miami? I meant Chicago, uh, with, which obviously matches what we know about the heat and, uh, heat culture, baby. So I think that's one that, that jumps out to me. Um, it, who do y'all Slater, see? you need to, you need to interject real quickly there. Uh, can you, can you remind us that, well, I shouldn't put you on the spot to whatever degree you can. Tim talks about heat culture and what do we know about heat culture? And, and I won't put a name on it, but players who, you've spoken to in the past about like how year one of heat culture is, is, is the best of your life and you grow as a player and, and uh, basically you should always want to spend one year in Miami. You get an unbelievable shape. You, you know, learn really good work habits. You, you get a lot of good lessons on like the professionalism of the game, but by year two, you want to get out. <laughs> I well, definitely how, brought it up a bit in jest. I think I think that it, it is uh No, it's real. I mean, it's I, I'm it's, not... it's been it it gets built up in ways that are not fully honest to what it is, I think. How about that? Oh, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I, you know, I've told these stories before, but in the bubble when uh, cuz I'm not typically around the heat, but when I had the luxury of leaving my casita room in the bubble and walking 100 yards to go to heat practice almost every day to see it up close you know, you got a real sense of the way they're wired. I think it's real, but I think here what you're partly running into is that there's a reason that Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau have always been like two peas in a pod because uh, on the coaching side, what do we say about Tibbs year two, year three, it gets tough. What do we say about the heat year two, year three, it gets tough. What do we say about Jimmy year two, year three, it gets tough. So you just have, I think a lot of pressure in that heat locker room that, that was probably fairly easy to predict None of which, by the way, means that I'm predicting their demise. I think it could spark something, you know, good in terms of the playoffs and what they do here. But, um, but yeah, to your point, Tim, about the Bulls, I mean, I like that idea that, you know, struggling second halves and, and narratives and it's an overused term, but even legacies like DeMar DeRozan was the talk of the NBA in the first half of the year. Still gets, you know, credit for having a wonderful year, but the way they've fallen off you know, some of that shine is off, and, and I, I'm sure he's pretty motivated to make sure they finish strong here. Well, we agree that the East doesn't seem as threatening or dangerous as it did maybe even a month ago, three weeks ago. I mean, Cleveland, remember, was this upstart. If you look at the metrics, they could be a 
title contender, and now it's like they've fallen into the play-in. They've had a bunch of injuries. Um, the Bulls the same. Obviously, it doesn't sound like Lonzo Ball is probably going to be back. Toronto's now the six. Boston, we mentioned the Robert Williams injury. Like, I'm just looking at this East bracket, and I'm like, it's just Boston, Slater. Like, it's just Boston's the one you talk about threats. I mean, if we if we fast forward to the finals, and you tell me it's Boston Phoenix, I don't know who I'm picking. You yeah, know? well, what um, about they, but like literally they're Milwaukee. the key to Boston's defensive resurgence has been this idea of like using Robert Williams as the roamer, uh, and he's and he's guarding the rim. I mean, there's been some Robert Williams defensive player of the year, but it's also some Marcus Smart too, and he's still around. But right. I mean, the fact that right. Robert Williams like tore his meniscus is like, I mean, that's potentially fatal for Boston. So that lessens them as a threat. And I just, the East doesn't strike me as as such a minefield as we thought it was going to be. You made such a good point. I just spilled coffee on myself. Good job, buddy. No, you're right. I mean, that, that takes a, that takes a little edge off Boston. Uh, I think they've won 24 out of 28, but they, they are elite. They've been the best team in the league during that stretch. And I've said it before, I think Emo Udoka should get a little bit of love with some Coach of the Year votes here. But, yeah, I mean, Phoenix is the one, not to go back to the West, but it's just like, it's it's wild. They get Chris Paul back, um, and he's really back, you know what I mean? Like, that thumb was not the most serious injury, and, uh, and, and he's completely back. And Devin Booker looks like, you know, at times an MVP caliber dude. Um, and they're deep, and they have chemistry. If you haven't seen the... Uh, I think CP shared on his socials the video of JaVale McGee hyping up his entire team pregame over FaceTime. I forget why JaVale wasn't with the team, but these dudes love each other and they're dangerous. And to me, they're the far and away the the title favorite. But yeah, out east, especially with Boston losing Williams, I think uh, it's it's pretty muddled. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll leave you with you guys with this as I got to run to Mavs practice. But uh, I just think, I mean, first off, Milwaukee defending champions i just think that they're also a team that stylistically is set to be better in the postseason i think that you know we have seen uh up and down nature throughout the regular season from them obviously um but how many times have we seen that from defending champions like we we all know the oh sure yeah we all know the difficulty of of okay you win it and, and then you gotta you gotta commit for the 82 game grind once again uh i uh, yeah, I've you know even even if it's Milwaukee Boston in, in the in the conference finals, I'm although know, in, in, Tim, in I didn't Boston's, love them getting yeah. routed by Memphis. What did you make of that? One the game Jawless regular Grizzlies. season. Yeah, I mean, no. I, I guess I just I, I'm not They're I'm not putting like too 30. much stock into to you know a, a one game in the, in the regular season when I when I saw 16 or you know I guess really it was the the final two rounds that were the most convincing from from Milwaukee. They were yep on the ropes against uh against Brooklyn. But yeah, I I I hear what you're saying about about the Celtics and I think if healthy, uh that is a dangerous team. But you know, I, I still I still worry that Celtics don't have the the metronomic uh point guard and and they don't have the 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 tempo setting guy who can just make sure that Tatum and Brown are getting to the spots that they need to. Um sure, you know, I, I think that, you know, it worries me when when teams don't have a guy who, you know, their best player doesn't bring the ball up the court. I know Tatum and Brown can do that in situations, but I don't necessarily trust them to do that and also initiate the offense in, in, in the right ways. Um, you know, and, and I'm talking about the very, very highest levels of title contending basketball. Like we've, we've always seen that it's, it's the same reason why, you know, Philly, despite everything, like I, I worry about, uh, you know, I guess we'll see what, what, how hard and fits into that, but we know, we know his struggles. So, Anyway, that was that was kind of a meandering thought, and uh, clearly my mind is already on uh, the illustrious uh, Mavericks practice that I'm about to go into. I know. So. What, what are you getting into a Mavs practice today? Dwight and what's, Powell what's the scrum? Angle? What, what, are we, what are we getting down there? It just might. Just might, you know? It's, uh, right. it's it's more likely than you think. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> what, what do you guys want me to ask Jason Kidd? What do you ask Jason Kidd? Ask him about uh, the, the Will Smith, Chris Rock situation. I got it in for oh, you. There you I go. I guarantee circle. you that's – I guarantee you somebody's going to ask about this. I'll just share every take that we've had on this pod, and I'll run it by Jason and see what he thinks. Um, you know. Just tell him to listen to the – What's the six degree – is there a six degrees of Will Smith in the NBA? Do we have any – I'm I, sure I don't remember is. seeing Will at an NBA arena. There's like 17 gonna, baseball players named Will Smith apparently. 
which I, I didn't sure. know, but I learned last night because a lot of people were making that joke. I guess I follow too many baseball writers. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Get out of here, Tim. Thank you, brother. All right, Slater, you are probably eager to, you know, get to that bed that's behind you and take a nap after you've been traveling the entire country. Um, but before I let you go, um, I, I guess, I don't know, what's what's got your attention down the stretch here, man? Uh, many things. Um, but, I mean, did you want to talk about a little bit more about your Embiid story? Uh, yeah, we could. Yeah. I thought he was good. Um, I, I'm, I, admittedly, I'm having a lot of fun with... Um, it's weird you can relate how some seasons coverage wise. I know our jobs are a little different, but they have a lot of similarities uh, in terms of our roles where you you know you got certain types of coverage that make up a bigger part of some seasons versus others and this year I have it uh, leaned in pretty hard to this unplugged series that unofficially is kind of what we're calling it where it's just a Q&A with with guys but it's trying to I mean I'm a sucker for learning about the behind the scenes aspect of what happens in the NBA. And so with Joel and everything that, that he was a part of with Ben Simmons and, and specifically in this conversation, what I went in being really curious about is, you know, I kept going back to the word trust because it's pretty infamous in those circles for trust the process. We know the backstory there, but you know, I was looking at it going, all right, you got Daryl Morey for a former Houston Rockets executive Sloan conference, you know, founder, um, guy who is the uh, kind of the absolute poster boy for the analytics movement running the team, but has no prior relationship with Joel. He now moves heaven and earth to go get the guy who we all knew, you know, at least a couple of years ago was his favorite player in James Harden. Even the Rockets uh, layers even go deeper than that. Tad Brown, their CEO, leaves Houston, goes to Philly to have a similar role. So in the middle of it, it's like, well, if you said whose franchise is this in terms of optics, it's still Joel's. Um, so why does he trust all these people? This is partly what I tried to get at. I don't know that I totally got there, but you know, learned a few interesting things along the way. He told a story about how he, when he met Daryl a couple of years ago when they hired him, um, that they sat at Michael Rubin's house, one of the co-owners of the Sixers, billionaire, pretty visible guy, and uh, and really said just sitting down talking to him that he could tell how smart he was and he was rocking with him just based on his personality and his vibe. But then in terms of moves and you know, this has a six degrees of warriors part to it, but like getting Seth Curry, Philly goes out, does a deal with Dallas, Josh Richardson and the 39th pick, I think it was, or maybe 36. They get Seth who becomes a big part of what they're doing. And yeah. And Joel's point was like, he just came in and identified a, a you know a weak spot for us right away and found essentially a one-sided trade to fix that problem. And then I started trusting him from there. The Harden thing was interesting, and, and I don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet and had any takeaways yourself, but like the idea that Joel and James have no prior relationship also fascinates me. Um, they are trying to get you know comfortable with one another now. The, the numbers in their 14 games together are pretty damn good when they're both on the floor. What they're having to work through is, is, you know, all the stagger time in between. Um, they got a net rating, I think of 13.8 when they're on the floor together. And it's about 389 minutes, I believe. So that part of it looks really, really, really promising. They had a terrible loss to Brooklyn where Kevin Durant looked like he was taking it extremely personally. Um, you know, and they, uh, they've dropped a couple other games along the way, but all in all, it's been pretty good, but they're going to be one of the more interesting teams in the playoffs, obviously. Absolutely massive playoffs for so many people in that franchise. And like Embiid as like, he is the best player. And as you mentioned, kind of the franchise, but to me, it's he's not on the top of the list of like pressure heading into the playoffs, you know, no, because of what Harden, you know, trying to, I guess like salvage, um, the state of his career. Doc Rivers, obviously, probably on the hot seat if they, if they get bounced quick. Daryl Morey for the trade. It's just, you know, I, again, I, I just mentioned that I think the East has softened up a little bit. I'm not sure. Maybe that's created a, a path for Philly, but I think there are reasons to be skeptical of the Sixers, but there's also, I could see it coming together. Well, losing the the... I, you know, the irony of, of Joel trusting Daryl based on the Seth Curry move, of course, is that they gave up Seth in that deal with Brooklyn. And, you know, that is a move that hurts them now. Um, and 
they just the supporting cast has had to figure things out. You know, I asked Doc Rivers when the Sixers played the Lakers last week. I was in LA and, and just asked him if this superstar pairing and this process reminded him at all of the ones he had taken part in before. Of course, in Boston, he was one of the uh, the orchestrators, if you will, of of the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen trio, and and they came out of the gate like gangbusters and were amazing in, in year one and really just dominant, uh, lost in the finals that year, but they were a dominant team right away. Then you got the Clippers example, right, with Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan. The distinction that he made that is very fair is that none of those things came together midseason. And so you're talking 22 games for this group to figure it out, and that's what they're working their way through. You can sense, you know, I mean, the line that, certainly was you know got my attention with Joel is about how it's going was he said we've got a long way to go that's not ideal if that's how you're feeling this close to the playoffs but that's kind of inherent to to doing a deal with the deadline that's the theme for for a few contenders uh you know and it's you mentioned the chat I had with Andre Iguodala that was one of the things we touched on because from a Warriors perspective like they haven't had all their guys together at all if in a long time but he mentioned the idea of like you know you can get better during the playoffs there's this idea that you need to grow and be just like ready game sure. one he's like you know you yeah. pass a test in the play sometimes like that can help you grow you know if you you have a six game seven game war in the first round that you probably shouldn't have but you know through that guys get more comfortable they get in better rhythm you come together boom by round two you're a much better team than you were in round one and I think the Warriors are very hopeful that that's the scenario they're walking into you mentioned Philly I mean they're trying to grow a pretty new group Brooklyn is another good example of that considering uh, you know they now are just getting Kyrie for home games there's still a Ben Simmons possibility looming um, there's other potential big players that might come back to teams. I mean, we mentioned the Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. aspect. Uh, it is also why Phoenix, as you mentioned earlier, feels like such an overwhelming favorite. Because talk about like cohesion and just rhythm yeah. and like, you know, no question marks really. You, They're just that team that you're going to flip on game one, round one of the playoffs in Phoenix. And I just, it's just going to look like a machine out there. We already know that. And they still don't have Cam Johnson back. And uh, yeah, they do. I mean, we got to say they still have hanging over their heads, of course, the Robert Sarver investigation. And and no clarity on the timing of any sort of verdict there from the NBA. That um, that in no ways has seemed to affect their on court product. No, but if I mean here's the evolution of it though is you got Al Sharpton, you know, renowned activist, is is publicly stated now that he's putting pressure on the league, and and I think they're probably going to run into some rallies, some protests during the playoffs. It does run the risk of being a distraction basketball wise, and you know if that news comes out during the playoffs, they're going to have to deal with it. But we did see from the way they handled the initial news, you know, when, when ESPN's Baxter Holmes had that story, that they handled that in stride. You know, they're exceptionally good at compartmentalizing things. Um, so I would expect that to be the case regardless of what happens going forward. Um, you know, so no, they're they're a machine. And to wrap up my thought on the, on the Philly stuff, you know, they play Phoenix on Sunday night, and I watched most of that game. And I thought it was a pretty good little you know, kind of um, case study on where both teams were at. It was a good game. Philly was able to run with them for most of the game. And then the Suns pulled away in, in crunch time like they often do, better than any team in the league during that time. And But Philly, you know, I think comported themselves pretty well. The thing with Harden, um, to your point about the stakes of the Philly situation, I mean, they are massive. So, you know, he's coming in right now production-wise, at, and this is just during his Sixers 14 games, 22 and a half points, 9.9 .9 assists, 7.4 boards. The, you know, that's a pretty damn good line. His shooting's been off. He's only 34.8 from three, 41.5% overall. Um, but big picture, I mean, Slater, he's 32 years old. Uh, he did not opt in to next year of his deal. Uh, and, you know, nobody expects him to go anywhere, but it's a massive question in the offseason. What is his contract going to look like? Is he going to opt in and have that be it? Is he going to opt in and extend, which is four years, $223 million for a guy that on the back end of that, I think you'd have concerns about, you know, about if he's worth that kind of cash. Um, or I kind of got reminded of this as I was writing it. Before the trade went down, I was told from the Philly side that um, there was a sense 
from the Harden side, if you will, that that he money is is not the end all be all for him at this point. He's made a ton of it, and so I mean, I could see him taking a bit of a shave in the summer uh, to help that roster, you know, just add another piece. I don't know how that looks, but you know, I think that could be in play as well. But all this starts and ends with what does James Harden look like in these next two months. And what does that mean for where they want to take this? Yeah, I mean, that's how you get leverage as a player. You play really well right. when it matters. Um, right. There's a lot of the, you know, you, maybe this is next week's podcast, but going through players who are at these crucial moments. Uh, and, and a lot right. of that has to do with their future leverage as, you know, in contract situations that, as we know, jumble up the league when contract situations get tricky. So. No question. All right, I'll let you get out of here. Go uh, go visit Blue City Cafe and reminisce about Draymond and Steph sitting there in the middle of the night, you know, pondering their Warriors future, their infamous meeting. I think it was, was it a Blue City? Yeah, they should maybe go there yeah. tonight and ponder this. <laughs> Time to go back? Could be, or maybe <laughs> this afternoon. Maybe I'm about to go get a, you know, pregame uh, meal and I'll be sitting there. I like it. I like it. All right. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you to the listeners, as always, and we will talk to you next week.